Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. Hello, welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day, and happy Easter. Today, Easter Sunday, marks the anniversary of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Kind of a big deal for the Christian church, and more importantly, for all of humanity and the whole universe. The empty tomb signals that God has won the victory over sin, death, and the devil. My title for this podcast is Jesus and the Big Floppy Hat. I hope today's message is encouraging, informative, mildly entertaining, and that you walk away with a deeper faith and some good stuff to think about in the week ahead. So please grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read the first 11 verses. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Corinth, about 55 A.D., This uh, begins the chapter 15, one of the most well-known passages from Scripture having to do with the significance and the theology of the resurrection of Jesus. Verses 3 and 4 use a formula that the church has adopted for its creeds, its summary statements about God, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We use that phrase in our Nicene Creed and in the Apostles' Creed. Well, in verses 5 through 8, Paul's rattling off a list of people to whom the risen Christ appeared, including Cephas. Now, Cephas is another name for Simon Peter, one of the original disciples of Jesus. And I have to confess that until this week, I have always pronounced it Cephas, because that's what it looks like, right? C-E-Cephas. But it turns out that we're supposed to pronounce it Cephas. I don't know why. 
I don't know why no one has ever told me this before, and I don't know why they spell it Cephas if they wanted us to pronounce it Cephas. I'm a bit miffed, frankly, but I digress. The list goes on to include James, some of the other apostles, a group of 500 or so, and then Paul lists himself as the last to receive a visit from the risen Jesus. Now, the sense here is that he's a bit starstruck. Jesus appeared to all these amazing people, he's saying. And then he appeared to even someone like little old me. There's also a sense here that the reason that Paul tells this story, he wants them to know that if the Paul can save someone even as bad as Paul, then the cross is enough to save anybody, including the audience to whom he writes. Now, some people these days wonder why Paul doesn't include any women on his list of post-resurrection sightings. They wonder if this was intentional, that maybe Paul had an agenda to perpetuate the patriarchy and put women in their place. But I expect it more likely that the inclusion of women simply is not a part of his story. He's already written 15 chapters. Maybe he's running out of parchment. Maybe it was time to wrap it up. Maybe he didn't even know about Mary Magdalene and the other women. The Gospels, after all, that record the story of Mary Magdalene at the, at the tomb. None of those Gospels were written until well after Paul wrote his letters. I bring this up so that, first of all, can we cut Paul some slack? Can we let Paul tell his story the way he wants to tell it? We don't need to cancel Paul just because later church leaders, men, have cherry-picked the Bible and used passages like this to argue that somehow only men can preach or lead the church. Because, of course, anyone who actually reads the Bible knows that the Bible itself has numerous examples of women playing significant roles in preaching and church leadership. And perhaps the most prominent and significant of these examples is Mary Magdalene at the resurrection, found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, which we we read next. John, chapter 20, the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple start for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He too saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, he, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I'll go get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. A reading from John, the 20th chapter. Mary Magdalene is the first and primary witness of the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. All four gospel accounts affirm that she was there. And while Peter, a.k.a. Cephas, and the other disciple play a role in John's Easter story, it is Mary who shows up first, and Mary who sticks around long enough to bump into an old friend. Now she thinks at first that Jesus is the groundskeeper, which seems odd. But here's my theory. It says that all of Jesus' clothes were left in the tomb, which means that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was kind of in his skivvies. So, so he sneaks over to a shed, and he raids a locker, and he finds a gardening outfit, complete with one of those big, floppy, wide-brim hats that all, all gardeners wear. And Mary looks up and sees a guy wearing a big, floppy hat. Must be the gardener, she thinks. But three very cool things happen over the next few verses. Consolation orientation, and proclamation. First, consolation. I find it quite something that here the Savior of the universe has just gotten up after being dead for several days, and the first thing he does, after finding some clothes, is to go and console a grieving friend. Have you ever received consolation uh, from a visit or a vision of a deceased loved one. The sun over the mountains was just so. Or all of a sudden there's an eagle that flies alongside the car or a wild animal that just looks at you from the side of the road. You get a whiff of her perfume or his aftershave. A dish, his favorite dish, is suddenly on the other side of the room. Whatever it was, maybe it was only a moment. But he was there. She was there. And that visit brought you comfort and closure. <laughs> Somehow you just knew that your loved one was okay and that you would be okay. That's what happens here. Jesus appears to Mary in the flesh wearing a big floppy hat, saying her name the way only he ever said her name. He was okay, and she was going to be okay, too. Jesus, the living Jesus, brought consolation to Mary. Consolation and a reorientation. He adjusts her orientation from holding on to the past to leading her into the future. I mean, look at this. When she recognizes him, 
Mary does what anyone would do, right? She reaches out to hug Jesus, to grab hold and never let go because it hurt so much when you left last time and don't you ever leave me again because I couldn't bear it and I am so happy and I'm filled with love and joy and you're here and you're alive and why are you wearing a big floppy hat? But that doesn't matter because you're here now and everything's going to be okay, right? (sighs) Mary, sweet Mary, That's not why I'm here, Mary. The point is not to hold on to me, but to follow me. How many of you remember the tragic explosion of the space shuttle Challenger? That was 35 years ago, back in 1986. Ronald Reagan was president at the time, and he said this to a nation in grief and shock. He said, I want to say something to the school children of America who are watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it is hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding our horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future and we'll continue to follow them. Just like President Reagan called Americans into the future, Jesus calls Mary into the future. It's the difference between a dead faith and a living faith. The resurrection changes our orientation away from the past. It grounds us in the present, and it pulls us into the future, a living, growing, yes, evolving future under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Consolation, orientation, and finally, proclamation. Go to my brothers and tell them, Mary. Tell the disciples, all of them, including Cephas or Peter or whatever you want to call them. Tell them all. Tell them that I have risen and that I go ahead of them and that the kingdom of God is at hand and that everything is going to be better than okay. Tell them, Mary, I'll meet up with them later, but first I have to return this big floppy hat. Which makes total sense, because Jesus Christ would never steal a person's big floppy hat. But do you see? Mary is the first Easter preacher. Because she goes. She goes to the disciples, and she reports. She announces. She proclaims and declares, I have seen the Lord. She is an angel, a messenger, a bearer of the good news of salvation. The same message that was prophesied by Elizabeth, born by Mother Mary, proclaimed in the temple courts by Anna, and now entrusted to Mary Magdalene. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Mary's testimony inspires other men and women in the early church to to share their faith, including Cephas and James, as well as the likes of Priscilla and Damaris and Lois and Eunice. Mary's proclamation ultimately leads to Paul's conversion, which leads him to write a letter to the Corinthians about the resurrection gospel which saves us all. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, Paul writes. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The risen Christ comes, brings consolation, reorientation, and proclamation. He appeared to Mary, to Paul and the apostles, and comes now in your hearing today. May your hearts and your ears and your eyes be open to receive him. And let me leave you with three Easter takeaways. The first takeaway is to receive God's consolation. The Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. At the heart of Easter is the assurance that, well, that God's got this. You're not alone. So like Mary, may the risen Christ console and encourage you in your grief. Or like Paul, may the risen Christ bring you assurance that your sins are forgiven, that God's grace is for you. Second, readjust your orientation. Christ is alive, and that calls us out of the past, grounds us in the present, and points us to the future. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, the Bible says, we press on. Think about that as we emerge uh, from crisis COVID into chronic COVID. May the risen Christ reorient our lives and our imaginations toward a hopeful future, not just a return to the way things used to be. And third, share your proclamation. Mary told her story. Paul told his story. And the fact is no single story can or should possibly capture the fullness of the love and the mercy of God. So keep an open mind. Be quick to listen, slow to judge. May we all have the humility and courage not only to share our stories, but to listen to the voices and experiences of others, regardless of how old they are or their gender or their race. Amen? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thanks for listening today. One final disclaimer. I don't know if a big floppy hat was involved in the events surrounding Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to Mary. But I invite you to imagine this story for yourself. Reenact the scene in your own heart and imagination, with or without a big floppy hat. And I invite you to learn more about faith or access our live streaming worship on Facebook or catch up on our our worship cafe playlist on YouTube through our website, www.faithshelton.org. We continue to uh, offer on-site worship these days with masking and social distancing. Grateful to Chaz and Emily for your production work and for all the people of faith. Thank you for your financial support for your ministry, your love, and your heart to serve our community. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen.